This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. John chapter 15. If you're a student of God's Word, you know that that is the passage that deals with our need to abide in the vine. It's exciting as a minister of the gospel to be able to study God's word, to see how things fit together, but then to be able to preach different times each week and to see how God brings all that truth together and directly ministers to God's people based on where we are at and, uh, and how he feeds us. Uh, I, I get encouraged, your comments. Uh, it makes me smile sometimes because you'll come and say, Pastor, that message blessed my heart and God spoke to me about whatever. Many times the whatever is something I never even talked about in the message. So, okay, that, it encourages me, but God was working. God was working. But when we think about our series in the book of Acts, we know that every page of the book of Acts talks about the Holy Spirit and what he was doing through those believers. And when things became difficult and when things weren't difficult, their daily practice was to depend on the Holy Spirit of God to work, but they were always prayerful. And, and I've not tried to do this with my Bible, but if you go to the book of Acts, you know, each page, where's the Holy Spirit? And where do you find God's people praying? It's, it's every page. It reminds me of a video clip that I saw recently uh, of, uh, I think it was, uh, if it wasn't a marathon, it was probably a 10K. And in this, they had folks that were not only jogging, but folks that were in wheelchairs. And it amazes me watching these these athletes in wheelchairs. Uh, but towards the very end of the race, and the cameraman was standing back, and you could actually see the finish line, the sign over the top, and this guy in this wheelchair was just about there. And you could tell he was struggling, and one of the runners came by him, picked him up out of that chair, put him over his shoulder, and ran him across the finish line. And it made me think, that's what we are to do as the people of God. The finish line is coming. The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And our praying is helping each other. Our fellowship, our involvement here together is helping each other get across that finish line to the glory of God. And even as we share prayer requests, and then pray, and then we hear about answers to prayer. I was, I was looking past Brother Mike as he was leading that last hymn, looking down at Marty. The fact that Marty is, is able to be back in our services, answer to prayer. But what are we really doing? We're, we're helping this sister get across the finish line. To hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so tonight we conclude a, a short series, it's been a summer series, Conditions for Prayer. 
I just need to ask quickly, did anyone not get the handout tonight? You ushers are ready. Anybody get that? All right. Um, anyone at all? Heather Phoebus? No, she's, she's set. All right. She. All right. Now, as the early church continued steadfastly in prayer, God worked through those believers to effect global change that has even reached, listen, this room tonight. Stop and consider, we are here tonight because of what God did after Pentecost in Jerusalem. Is that a true statement? And it just keeps on happening. The gospel, getting out, people being saved, growing into the image of Christ, going on to share the truth with others. We've been examining the way they prayed that brought about powerful answers to prayer. They were praying in accordance with how Jesus taught them to pray. And how did he teach them to pray? Let's look at this. First of all, this is review, persistently, they prayed often believing. They prayed believing that if they prayed according to God's will, that what the Savior promised, he would answer. And he did. They prayed unanimously like we just did a short while ago, they prayed together, agreeing. Then they prayed in faith, believing. They prayed in faith, but expecting God to answer. And of this whole series, I think that's the one area where the Lord has convicted me the most. Preacher, if you're going to get on your knees and you're going to ask of me, you need to expect answers from me. This isn't just an exercise. It needs to be expectation. And then, as we saw last time in Jesus' name, they prayed thinking. Now, you and I pray, but are we thinking about the fact that we're able to pray because of the ministry of Christ? He is our advocate. He is our intercessor. Am I conscious of that? Am I conscious of the fact that as he sits, there is a human sitting next to the Father on the throne in heaven? The God-man, Jesus Christ. But as I pray to the Father, I am praying through him, my glorified Savior who made it possible for me to go and to request, made it possible for me to be a child of the Father. So take a moment to consider how these conditions for answered prayer are changing your prayer life. Don't be just a hearer, but be a doer. How are they changing your prayer life? Does greater steadfastness, perseverance, continuance, Describe your praying. Has the exercise of these precepts over these weeks helped you come boldly before the throne of grace? And, and one of my prayers is that it's helped your prayer to be uh, more spontaneous.
I believe that it thrills the Lord. When there are two saints standing right over here and they share a burden and it turns into a prayer meeting right there. Or in your home, around the dinner table. Somebody mentions something, they heard somebody struggling, somebody has a need, and as a family, all right, hold it, hold it, let's stop, we need to pray. George Mueller, who had those orphanages in London, as C.H. Spurgeon thought about George Mueller, he said, Spurgeon said, the God who answers by orphanages, let him be God. Mueller prayed in everything that they needed to feed those kids, to feed those kids spiritually, to turn those orphans into mighty warriors for the Lord. But here's one of the things that happened out of those orphanages came kids who knew how to pray because they had seen it. Mueller said this, this is the primary reason for establishing the orphan house. I certainly desire to be used by God to help the poor children and train them in the ways of God. But the primary object of the work is that God would be magnified because the orphans under my care will be provided with all they need through prayer and faith. Everyone will see that God is faithful and hears prayer. So praying steadfastly, like every other spiritual discipline, is only possible by the Spirit's enabling of a Christian's life. You know these passages, Matthew, or I'm sorry, Ephesians 5.18, uh, Be not drunk with wine, wear in success, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. When you get to chapter 6, the next chapter, and Paul begins to help the Ephesian believers un, uh, understand the armor of God, you can't read through that, or you shouldn't read through that and stop with just the armor. You have to go to verse 18. And our, our scripture verses, the, the 518 and the 618, they're not inspired, okay? But I sure think sometimes they help us remember and when you think about being controlled by the Holy Spirit, 5.18, you need to remember 6.18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in, or in our New Testament, the Greek language, in or through the Spirit. I'm yielded to the Spirit. He controls me so that when I pray, I'm praying through Him as well. He's directing my praying. So that brings us to precept number five, pray while abiding in Christ. Now you're in John 15. Here's what the Lord said in verse seven. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it what? It what? Shall be done unto you. You're abiding and my words are abiding in you. Again, that praying in Jesus' name. Praying according to his will. Praying the way Jesus taught disciples to pray. His word in me, me abiding in him. I ask what I will, and it's done. 
because it is his will. Abiding necessitates a few things. It necessitates asking. If you're abiding in Christ, you're not depending on you. And if you're not depending on you, what are you doing? You're asking the one you're depending on. Since prayer is the breath of dependence. Okay, so the first blank in your handout, we must abide in him. And then prayer, second blank, is the breath of dependence. Somebody says, well, how do I know if I'm depending? You're talking to the one you're depending on. All right, so we've got first responders here. Uh, I am one. By the way, please pray. We had a pre-brief this morning. This weekend, the city of Chesapeake is going to be having a major operation uh, to help us prepare as a city in case we have a serious incident like happened at Walmart. We're going to be, be preparing for that. Your pastor will be taking most of Saturday to be involved in that just so that, again, we know how to respond. But one of the things they teach first responders in a critical incident is that you come alongside somebody this happened to Bruce Rock last summer, I, I believe, where there was an accident where the car was literally stranded across railroad tracks. And Bruce was inside the vehicle communicating with the driver of that vehicle until they could extract the driver from that car. But you communicate. Why? You want them to continue to depend on you as you settle their heart. Listen, it's the same principle. When you don't know how to proceed, or even if you think you do, you don't, you need God. And so the breath of dependence, abiding, is talking to the Lord. It may be something that you do every day, but you need to stop and ask God to help you with that. So abiding necessitates asking, since without him, we can do what? Nothing. Nothing. So let's look at the definition of abiding. I don't want to assume that we understand what that means. I'm going to teach a Greek word tonight. You're going, to, you're going to leave here so encouraged that you learned some Greek this evening. Okay? The Greek word, M-E-N-O, meno. Say it with me. And no. All right. It means to stay in a given place. Stay in a given place. Let me show you how it's used in the Gospels. It's translated with different words, but it, it, these different words mean essentially the same thing, and they give us a, a good rounded understanding of this word abide. In Mark 14, 34, the Lord said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. Now I've highlighted it in your notes. Tarry ye. That's our word, meno. Abide. 
abide here. Watch. By the way, if, if you know the other contexts in the other Gospels and what's happening here, the Lord didn't just tell them to watch. What did he also tell them to do? Pray. See, there you go. But tarry. Be watchful. All right, Luke 10, 7. And in the same house, remain. So the Lord is sending the disciples out. He's saying, go and depend on me. I'll provide when you go into homes They'll feed you. So here's some of the instruction about using their hospitality as you do your work for me. In the same house, remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. I'm not sending you out as beggars. I'm sending you out to serve. Remain there while you're doing the work. Okay, same word. John 1, 39, he saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he, where Jesus dwelt. There's your word. And abode, same word, with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now here's what I want to emphasize from John 1, 39, and we're going to see this in another text a little later, John 4. Why would, did Jesus want them to come and dwell and abide there. Question, did these guys have a place to stay or not? Yes, they did. All right, they're fishermen. They live right there at Sea of Galilee. Why did Jesus want them to come and see and abide? He wanted them to be with him. Why? An opportunity for the Lord to impart himself to them, to teach, to instruct. Keep that in mind. That's important. Then John 2, 12, after this, he went down to Capernaum. He and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there many days. Same word. All right, so let's apply this. Abiding means to stay in the designated place Christ has assigned his children. We are to remain with him, no straying. Do you know that the Lord will not leave you? He won't forsake you. But do his sheep ever stray away from the shepherd? Don't do that. Satan is a roaring lion. There are wolves in sheep's clothing out there. If you're a sheep, who's in the habit of straying from the shepherd, it's just a matter of time. Don't stray. Abide with him. And then tarry at his side in a state of watchful dependence. So no straying and no self-reliance. I might not be straying down some path towards sin, but I can go into what I think is just neutral and who am I depending on? Me. Self-dependence. Remember, there is no such thing in your life as neutral. Either you're growing or you're backsliding. There's no neutral. We always need to abide. Now listen, notice here in the application, Jesus has no other plan for his people. No other plan. 
but to obey the command, abide in me. Let me ask you this. When you think about a grape arbor, the vine, branches, is does the creator have any other plan for the vine and the branches except that they stay connected to produce fruit? Is there any other plan? You get the point. That is the plan. And I believe God created grape arbors so that we could look at it. We can enjoy grapes and be reminded what the Lord expects from his children. Now, the capacity for abiding. Oh, I've got to abide every day. Uh, try harder, try harder. Try. No, 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 no. Okay. The capacity for abiding. Number one, the vital connection to Christ begins at salvation. Turn over to John 4. John 4. And I want you to see how simple and how practical this is. This is the story of the woman at the well. I can't wait to get to heaven and meet the Samaritan woman at the well. Oh, is that going to be exciting? Okay. John 4, but let's begin the reading in verse 39. This is after she gets saved. She goes back into town and she starts telling them about that she's met the Messiah. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would, now watch, tarry with them. All right, Greek scholars, what do you think that word tarry is? Meno, I am so impressed. All right. And he abode. Question, what do you think that Greek word is? Oh, you're amazing. It's meno. And he abode there Two whole days. Now in the abiding what happened and many more believed because of his own word. And they say unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. What's the truth here? Again, going back to verse 40, here's the truth. Abide with Christ is abiding in Christ so that Christ's words can abide in you. And when that all is true, you will ask what you will and he's going to answer. By the way, one well, of the hardest things for a Christian is to not abide in the Lord and to try praying. You feel like a hypocrite? Your flesh is going to tell you, well, you strayed again. He doesn't want to hear you. Yes, he does, but it's so much sweeter, so much better if we will just abide, stay close to him, depend on him, and keep talking. So the vital connection to Christ begins at salvation. True of the Samaritan woman, true of you and me. If you are in Christ, 
you're saved, this is one of the greatest privileges you have. Then the volitional choice. Okay, the capacity. If I know Christ, there's the connection, uh, the vital connection, but the volitional choice is to obey Christ after salvation. To obey Christ after salvation. Go back to John 15. Look down at verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Now, what is the Lord saying? Here's what he's not saying. If you stop keeping my commandments, I stop loving you. It's not what he's saying. As you keep his commandments. By the way, if you love me, Jesus said, you keep my commandments. All right. But as you continue to obey him, that vital Fellowship continues, not sonship, but fellowship. And in that fellowship, that abiding, then I obey so that I continue in a place where I can ask with confidence. Why? Because you and I know the Lord says if you regard iniquity in your heart, I won't hear you. And so abide in his love by lovingly continuing to obey him. Let me illustrate it this way. A child can never understand the love of a parent, how deep that is. Do parents still love children who stray? They should. But when those children stray, they don't abide in the parent's love. They're out there doing whatever. They cannot experience the parent's love. And that's what the Lord is saying. I love you. But you need to abide in my love. How do you abide? Just continue to obey me. And by the way, the greatest motivation for obedience is love him. Love him. You love him, you keep his commandments. 1 John 3, verse 24, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. He abides in me. He will not love me anymore. He can't love me any less. But I sense that love based on my obedience and my abiding in him. Who's more assured of the parent's love? A child who continues to fellowship with the parent or a child who's off running around and never speaks to the parent? It's the child who maintains fellowship with the parent and a good relationship. That is the point. So a volitional choice to obey Christ after salvation. Spurgeon nailed it. He put these two together. Power in prayer depends upon union with Jesus and obedience to his will. It's that simple. 
Now go to John 15 and verse 7, and we're going to conclude with the verse that we started with. If ye abide in me, we've defined it. We know how to maintain it based on what the Lord has said. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, what words has he said that need to abide in us? Every Christian, every day, praying persistently, ask believing, ask unanimously, in agreement in Jesus' name. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Here's the promise. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. Who said that? Help me. <laughs> Jesus. Does he ever not keep his word? He said this to disciples because he wants you to expect this. All right? So what are we trying to accomplish? We're speaking to those who are spiritually minded, all right? It is the rearing of a god is it the rearing of a godly family, the forging of Christian character, the defeat of a stubborn habit evangelizing a lost friend, teaching truth to a group at church, or settling a problem with an offended brother. What is it we're trying to accomplish? Without abiding in Christ, none of this can be done. John 15, 5, without me you can do nothing. How do we obtain his help? Prayer. Prayer. It's not complicated but here's the question so why don't we pray? well we don't pray because we're self-dependent the easiest thing for your flesh to do is depend on itself and that's the very worst thing you can do for your existence so when the answer comes and the result is produced through prayer it is nothing less than the fruit that he ordained that we should bear. I love this. I can hear the words, the loving words of our Savior. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Ah, now listen. Wait, wait, wait. That whatsoever he shall ask the Father in my name, that will I do. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Ask, and let me produce fruit through you. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for John 15. What a precious, precious text. What precious words, Lord, that you shared with the disciples, even as you were preparing to die on a cross, Rise from a grave and then ascend back to the Father. You have not left us alone. You've given us the comforter and then you've given us the comfort of being able to abide in you and to pray. Lord, we have no reason as a church not to pray steadfastly like our forebears in Jerusalem. And so God, help us to pray in a way that pleases you. And would you produce 
mighty fruit for your glory through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.